Good morning. So I got a question for you as we start. Have you, have you ever been reading the Bible and just like sit there and as you read through it, you're just asking that question like, what's this here for? Right? And, and I'm not talking about the Bible itself, but I'm talking about like specific stories within it, right? Where you get that story and you're like, what is this, what's this story about? Like, why is this, this particular story included? Like, what, what am I supposed to understand from this? I, I'm, I'm glad I know at least one person feels that way. Did, does some of the other, do you guys feel that way sometimes? Right? Good. I'm glad because that way I'm not alone, right? Like, we, we sometimes, as you read the Bible, we just get stuck. I'm like, what is this about? And the reason I ask that question as we start is, is to be completely honest with you, that, that's kind of the way I felt this past week is as about this passage that we're talking about today. Uh, why, why is this in here? And, and we'll keep this a secret between, you know, you here and those of you online, and uh, this is recorded forever, right? This is our little secret, so don't tell anybody else, right? But, but it almost, I, I kind of was wrestling with this passage because it kind of feels like it's just like filler material, right? That, that sounds horrible to say, right? But it, but it, but when we look at, at the passage in, in this whole story of Acts as we've been reading, right? Last week, if you were here with us last week, we, we read about the, and talked about the conversion of Saul, right? That's a, that's a huge story, right? Saul, public enemy number one, on a mission to like destroy the church and silence anyone who is preaching in the name of Jesus, he made it his mission to wipe out the church, imprisoning, uh, killing people, just anything he could do to stop the spread of the gospel. But then he had an interaction with Jesus, a personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. And he went on to become one of the greatest missionaries in church history. And we'll spend pretty much the rest of Acts, we're going to follow most of his stories. He just goes on all these missionary journeys risking everything for the spread of the gospel. That's a huge, huge change, right? That's a big story. And then a little spoiler alert for next week, we get into Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter go to the house of Cornelius and share the gospel with Cornelius. And Cornelius and his whole household surrender their lives to Jesus. The Holy Spirit fills them, and they're the first Gentile believers, and that's huge news for all of you like me who are not Jewish, right? The gospel's for us too. And so you have these two huge foundational stories in the book of Acts that are foundational to the whole church history. And sandwiched in between, we have 12 verses that we're going to talk about today. And so reading, as I've been reading through Acts, and I keep looking at these 12 verses, I, I get to this point, I'm like, so, so why are these two stories here? Two seemingly random stories about Peter interacting with people and, and performing a couple miracles. So why are they here? And again, I ask that question also firmly believing 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So knowing that and believing that all Scripture is inspired by God and is here for us, why do we have these 12 verses? Because it's almost like without these 12 verses, the whole story of Acts still all flows together, right? We go right from 
Saul's conversion right into Peter and the gospel going to the Gentiles, and, and we kind of can jump over these 12 verses. And they may be verses that maybe you've heard them before, but they're probably ones that you forgot are here. So what do we do with these stories? So before we wrestle with that question, because I think that's what, we're, that's what we want to talk about today, is what do we do with these, these 12 verses? Let me just read through these together. So we're in Acts chapter 9, verses 31 through 43. Again, this is right after Paul, or Saul, becomes Paul. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So a couple of random notes to just to, to get caught up before we get to these questions, right? Because uh, some of you may, maybe this is your first time you haven't been with us as we've gone through Acts, or maybe you're just like me and you need like constant refreshers, right? But... But this church, the disciples are, are scattered around. So these, these areas that Peter is going and visiting, they're all in these surrounding areas around Jerusalem. And what we saw is, is Acts started, all of the disciples all were gathered together in Jerusalem until the persecution started, then people started to scatter. And so these churches, as Peter's walking around visiting the disciples scattered around, how did they get there? There were probably all people who had been in Jerusalem probably through, you know, close to Acts chapter 7. And then in Acts chapter 7, as the persecution started to spread, everybody started to go back to their hometowns. And so as those disciples left Jerusalem, they went back home and they started telling people what they had learned, what they had heard, what they had seen. They started telling people about the hope of the gospel and what Jesus had done. And the church has started to spread because, sure, public enemy number one, Saul is no longer out trying to destroy the church, but his persecution is still happening. But as we saw there in, in verse 31, that there was a time of, of relative peace. And yet during that time of peace, the church continued to be strengthened in the fear of the Lord. 
And these disciples, as they scattered, went back to their homes and into their communities, were sharing the hope of the gospel. And, and, and more and more people were, were putting their faith in Jesus. And so who is leading these, these new churches that are popping up all over, these new gatherings of disciples throughout the area? Well, what we can guess is that from, if you remember back in Acts chapter 8, Philip who's one of the the deacons, was traveling around visiting people and telling people about the gospel and encouraging. And when he was in Samaria, he called Peter and John, and they came up from Jerusalem and visited that church and encouraged and taught. And like we see in these stories, Peter's traveling around. The the disciples probably were continuing to do this, leaving Jerusalem, going out and visiting the disciples who were scattered in the areas around Jerusalem, encouraging, teaching them, equipping them. So, Peter's on one of these journeys walking around, and and we see these stories where he runs into this lame man and heals him, and then this lady dies, and everybody's sad, and they know Peter's nearby, so they call Peter, and he comes and raises her back to life. So those questions, why are these stories here? What is it about these stories? There's lots of other stories of miracles happening, right? We, there's lots of other times, even just in, in earlier in chapter 9, like it's references that miracles happened or things happened, and we just kind of know that lots of other things were going on. But why are these two stories included? And I, I want to encourage you that we get stuck on passages like this. All right, when we're reading the Bible and we feel lost, there, there's two questions I want you guys to remember. And these are the questions that we use when, when we're reading the Bible and, and, and trying to figure out what does it mean? What's this all about? There are two questions that help us get to the point of Scripture. Because again, we remember back to 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and equipping and training and reproof. Why? What is Scripture? What's the point of Scripture? Is this... And how that verse ends. So that you, the servant of God, may be equipped for every good work. So we can know that the reason these are in here is so that we can be equipped. So what is it that we're trying to get at? What are the, what are the questions that we ask? So the first question that you need to ask when you're reading the Bible, when you're coming across these passages that seem confusing, or you're not sure why it's there, the question is, what do we learn from this passage about the heart of God? Because the Bible is given to us, it's God's word to us so that we can know God. God desires to be in a relationship with us. He made us for a relationship to know us and for us to know Him. And so His word is given to us so that we can know God. And so as we read passages we, we want to understand, as we read these stories, as we try to understand this, what does this teach us about the heart of God? What does this teach us about the character of who God is? How does knowing this, how does reading this help me to know God better? And it's hard because as we read the Bible, we have stories that are narrative like this, right? Here's what happened. Then there's stories where Jesus is teaching us and, and there's instruction, there's poetry, there's like prophecy. And like as you read these different, different types of literature that are all wrapped up in the Bible, and as we try to understand it, we get stuck and we have to ask this question, what does this teach us about God? 
Because the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's letter to us so that we can know Him. So as we read the Bible, we get glimpses of God. And as we read the Bible in the desire to grow in our relationship with God, it's that ability to uncover more and more of who He is. Just like in human relations, right? As we spend time with one another, we get to know one another more. And if we don't, then we can't expect that relationship to grow. And the same is true of us and God because He wants to be in relationship with us. The second question then that flows out of that is as we understand more of who God is, the question that we ask as we read the Bible is, what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus? If I, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, what does the Bible teach me about what that looks like? And again, discipleship, is, as I often say, is discipleship can be summed up in this. I'm someone who has surrendered my life to Jesus, and so my answer to any question you ask me is, I'm, my answer is whatever Jesus says. Because he gets to call the shots in my life. He's the supreme authority in my life. He is my Lord. I'm a disciple of him. I want to do things his way. Do I do things his way all the time? No. You guys know me. I screw up a lot. But I'm giving God authority in my life. And I'm learning daily to trust him more, to grow in relationship with him and in obedience of him. And I want my life to reflect his. And so as I read the Bible and I understand the character and the nature of God, it shows me what it means for me to walk in obedience to Him, to be a Christian, someone who is Christ-like. I don't measure up, but I'm a Christian not because of the fact that I measure up. I'm a Christian because I've surrendered my life to Jesus because what He did for me. And so as we read the Bible, that's what we look for. What does this passage teach me about God, about His character so that I can grow in my relationship with Him? And secondly, what does it tell me about myself and what it means for me to follow Jesus? So those are the two questions that we ask. And the question that we want to look at as we we then now look at these 12 verses, these two stories of Peter, these two miracles What does it teach us about the character of God and what does it mean for me as a follower of Jesus? What should my life look like? So the first question, what does this teach me about the character of God? As you read these stories, it's, it's, man, as Peter heals Aeneas and as Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, those point straight back to the compassion of God. Our God is a God of compassion. As we read the Bibles, you read Genesis through Revelation, time and time again we see and understand the compassion of God. And they're echoed in, in these stories, right? As you read these stories, you can't, I, I can't help but think back to, to almost the, the exact counterparts in Jesus' ministry. As Jesus interacted with people and healed people, and Peter was right there with him, right? As, Jesus he, or as Peter heals Aeneas, And what does he tell him? He says, take up your mat and walk. That's almost word for word the instructions Jesus gave the lame man after his friends lowered him through the roof. And Jesus healed him and said, take up your mat and walk. Peter watched that and saw the compassion of God. 
And Tabitha, as she's raised from the dead, it almost goes right back and again. Reminds me of the story of, of Jesus. And the man comes to him and says, my daughter is sick, come. And on their way, everybody comes as she's already died. And as Jesus comes to the house, the mourners are there. Jesus kicks them all out and he raises her back from the dead. Peter saw that and witnessed that. And we see these stories reflect Jesus. And ultimately, it points back to this God who is a God of compassion. Psalm 103, verses 8 and 13. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Our God is a God of compassion. He cares for others. God's heart breaks for hurt. God has compassion on us. And it's actually as, as Moses is talking to God in Exodus chapter 34, as God is describing himself to Moses and, and explaining himself to Moses. One of the first descriptions is that he's a God of compassion. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. God defines himself as compassionate. And really, as we read throughout the, the Bible, we just continue to see that God is a compassionate God. And ultimately, Jesus is the compassion of God in the flesh. Right, because as we understand a, a God who's compassionate, say that he has incredible love for us when we don't deserve it. And God loved us and knew that we would never be able to measure up. And so the compassion of God broke through into our reality in the form of Jesus as Jesus came to rescue us. As Jesus came to, to, to fight for us when we were enemies of God and to reconcile us to himself. And as Jesus walked on this earth, it, it's almost like just he, the compassion of God just continues to just not disrupt his journey, but it's almost like as he's on a mission and he just can't help but care for the people he sees. His heart breaks for people in, in, as they're hurting. His heart breaks for people in sorrow and for their needs. The story of Jesus, he's, he's teaching the crowds and it says he had compassion on them because he knew they were hungry. He cared about the simple fact that people were hungry. He had compassion on them. In Luke chapter 7, as Jesus and the disciples are entering a town, there's a funeral procession walking out. And there's a, a woman walking by the casket of her dead son. And it says Jesus had compassion on her and he healed her. In Matthew 20, Jesus interacts with her. Again, walking along, there's, there's two blind men. See there, and it says that Jesus had compassion on them. When Jesus interacts with the hurt and the brokenness of our world, his heart breaks for us. He has compassion. He cared for the sick and the hurting and the broken, and his compassion led him to action. And ultimately, his whole rescue mission led him to the cross. The compassion of God is what brought him to the cross because he loved us. And the only way for us to be in relationship with God is for him to step in and rescue us. And he did it on the cross. And so this passage, both of these stories 
Again, just, just echo the compassion of God. There's no, no need for Peter to heal Aeneas. There's no need for Tabitha to be raised from the dead, right? There's lots of, of lame people throughout history who weren't healed. Everybody's died and only a handful of people have been raised and healed. But the point wasn't that. But it's the compassion of God breaking through. And so as we read these passages, we're reminded that God hasn't changed. He is still that same God of compassion that we read throughout all of the Bible. And his compassion broke through with Jesus. And it was fulfilled on the cross but it wasn't finished. And I've got to be careful saying that, right? Because on the cross, Jesus says it was finished, right? Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross met every requirement that we needed for salvation. He made in one perfect sacrifice what we needed to be rescued, made right with God, but, but the compassion of God wasn't finished. He finalized everything, but but look what happened because then shortly after Jesus is back with his disciples and then as we've been reading in the story of Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven. But then we have to look very closely at chapter 2 because in chapter 2 the Spirit of God came and filled his people. And so now as the church, as followers of Jesus who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God works through us to continue to pour out his compassion on the world. Because God's compassion is now continually poured out and multiplied through His church throughout all of time and throughout history. And so as we read this passage, we're reminded that we serve a God who is a God of compassion. And it brings us right to to the, the clear answer to the second question. What does that mean for me? As a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, what, is it, what do these passages tell me about what it means for me to follow Jesus? And again, it comes down to as followers of Jesus, our heart should reflect His. As a follower of Jesus, my heart should be defined by a heart of compassion just like Jesus is. Look back at, at one of the last times Jesus was with His disciples. John chapter 13, and this is uh, kind of the, the, the story that we get as Jesus is talking with his disciples right before the Last Supper, right before he goes and, and goes to the cross. And it's almost like he's, he's spent three years with his disciples, teaching them, spending time with them, instructing them. And now, in these last hours before he leaves them, it's almost like he's giving them these last encouraging words, last reminders. And John 13, 34 and 35 says, Look, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As disciples of Jesus, we should, the, the, the calling card of a disciple of Jesus is that they love one another. The love of God should be in us. And the same thing is reflected as, as the church spreads and as we read through the New Testament, there's all these letters to the church. And just like Jesus was giving these last instructions, there's these instructions to the churches reminding them of this very thing. In Galatians, Paul reminds the church, he says, that we need to continue to remember the poor. 
And James in his book says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In the letter to the church in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. As followers of Jesus, imitators of Christ, our heart should break with compassion for the world around us. As we see hurt, as we see grief, as we see need, our heart of compassion that reflects Jesus should be changed, should cause us to respond. Because that's what we see in these stories. Peter, who had spent time with Jesus, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, as he went out visiting these churches, as he interacted with the world around him, and he saw the hurt, was moved to respond. Peter's walking along the road and he sees Aeneas sitting there. And his heart is moved with compassion. And Jesus heals him. And we see the story of Tabitha. Like all these women, all these widows who are mourning. And, they, and they, their friend has died. And as Peter comes, he, he has compassion on them. He sees their grief and their hurt. And really, that's what we see of Tabitha. This, these, these couple verses of what, of the, is all we know of, of this woman named Tabitha. But what we know about her is she had a heart of compassion that matched her God. That the Holy Spirit filled her, and as she saw hurting people, she met them in their need and cared for them. So as Peter's walking into this city and interacting with all these people, it's almost, I, I just picture that he's walking in, people just keep coming up to him. They're, they're telling them stories about what Tabitha did for them. I, said, I, don't, I don't know where she came by because she was always giving everything away, but, but I never had a need because Tabitha always made sure we had what we needed. Or come, Peter keeps walking, comes across somebody else who's like, you see this, 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 this amazing robe I have? You should have seen my robes. They were, they were a mess. They were hand-me-downs. They had holes everywhere. But Tabitha knew about me, and she made this for me. She didn't have to. I didn't even know the lady, but she gave me this gift. Look at how she's remembered. I love this. Tabitha, she was always doing good and helping the poor. That's what we know about Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Remember the pastor from Thessalonians 3? Never tire of doing what is good. That's what Tabitha did. She loved the people in her community. She cared for them in real, tangible ways. As she saw people and she saw their need and she saw their hurt, she had compassion on them. And her compassion reflected that of God's compassion for us. And when she died, people felt the loss. And so as we think about this question, this is what we're called to be. We're called to be people who have compassion on the world around us. Let me ask you the question, what impact are you having in your community? What impact do you have on the people around you, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, the, God, the people that God has put in contact with you, what impact are you having on them? 
Because is, is, do you have a heart that soft and sees and cares for the needs of the world around you? You see, because we live in a, in a country and in a community that, that is just prioritized taking care of ourselves. I need to make sure that, that I'm all right and my family's good and that, that's what matters most. But that's not what God made us for. God made us for community. God made us to be, designed us to be in relationship with one another, to care for one another. That we have an impact in the world around us. And oftentimes we think about the fact that our world, right, we, can, we can take snapshots throughout history, and it seems like our world just keeps getting worse and worse. There's more pain, there's more suffering. But guess what? That means there's so much more opportunity for us to pour out the compassion of God in this world and to care for people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that we're defined as, as being built as living stones in a temple. That the church is made up of all of us individuals and we're called living stones, right? Other passages it talks about us being parts of a body, but in, in Peter it talks about us being living stones. And I love that analogy because growing up, our neighbor's house right in front of us, was, it was a stone house. And, and again, when I say stone house, I, I know what you're all thinking because as good Midwesterners, you're picking those beautiful limestone houses. Now, I grew up in Washington State. Every rock in Washington is a granite boulder, all right? Growing up, I, it was like my, the worst chore ever was to have to dig a hole because if you wanted to dig a hole this big, you found a granite boulder this big, all right? Which is why if you go to my hometown, everywhere there's granite walls everywhere because people like, as they dig a hole, they find all these rocks and they just pile up in their walls everywhere. Right? And so this house was built of granite boulders, right? River rocks, stones, they're all this big. And you know what the beautiful thing about it, building a wall out of a round stone, right? It takes a lot of creativity, a lot of work to match them together. And so growing up, I loved looking at my neighbor's house because it was so cool to look at all these round walks that, ma that made a, a straight wall. Right? And you look at how the, all the stones fit together. That's, that's what the Bible tells us as a church, right? That's how we're fitted together. And every stone impacts those around it. And we have, we have an impact on us. And, and some of you guys may be reading this story and hearing this story about Tabitha being like, wow, she was incredible. And I'm not like her. Right? I may ne never measure up to somebody like that. Like, she's an incredible woman. I, 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 I'm not like that. But guess what? God, God's equipped us and uses us differently from one another. And that's the beauty of the church. And that's the beauty of all of us is, is God matches us together to accomplish his plan and his purposes and uses us differently. But each of us has an impact on those around us. And so as we see in this story of Tabitha, when she dies, the community around her suffers. And they feel grief. And they feel a sense of loss. But, but the cool thing about being a wall is, is that it, there's a ripple effect too, right? Because not only does that community feel that loss, but it spreads and they go and they grab Peter and they bring him in. As Peter comes in, he, he starts to have compassion, not on Tabitha, but on the, the people who are feeling the loss. 
And that's part of what, again, what we're called to be is we have compassion on our community, as we, as we love the people around us, as we live out what it means to be disciples, we, we start to have a greater and greater impact. And as those losses happen, they ripple out. And, and there's so many examples, but the most recent one that, that I can point to right in this church within the last couple weeks is when Nelson's mom passed away. Right? Oh, I, I, over the years, met Nelson's mom a handful of times. I barely knew her. But she was an amazing woman of God who loved people well and had a tremendous impact on the people that God had placed in her life. And when she died, those people all felt just a tremendous amount of loss and grief. But then that rippled out. And those of us who know and love Nelson and Susie, like felt that same loss. And we care for one another. We're, we're called to love one another, encourage one another. And it happened because people cared for them. And this church community responded. And so many people made food and desserts to serve the family. And lots of people showed up and helped serve food for the family. And this community rallied around and cared for one another and lived out what we're called to be. Most of the people who were serving had never met her. But they knew and loved the people who were hurt. So they cared. You see, as we catch the heart of God, our heart should break like God's heart breaks for the world around us. And as we see need, as we see hurt, as we see grief, our heart should be filled with compassion to respond. The reality of it is, is that having a Christian as a neighbor should be the biggest and best blessing in someone's life. Right? Having a coworker who is a Christian should be the best thing. Because when you have a coworker or a neighbor who is a Christian who is a follower of Jesus, their heart should break for the things that break God's heart. And they should care for one another. Right? That's what we're called to be. Right? It's not just that we're hoping, like, man, I hope a Christian moves in next door. No, that's who we are. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Right? God's plan for, to love the world is us. We have come and found the hope of the gospel. Our lives have been transformed because of what Jesus did for us. And we now have the privilege and the opportunity to share that with the people that God's put in our lives. That we can love them, that we can encourage them, that we can care for them, that we can point them to Jesus. And I say that because I want to warn you that, that as we do this, Right? Peter didn't just wait for people to come to him. He sought out opportunities. He was out walking and he ran into people and he cared for them. As we engage in the world around us, we need to open our eyes to see the hurt and respond. But I, I need to make sure that I call out and, and warn you about the trap. And I say this because I need to be reminded of this because I can fall for this trap so often. As I see this, the compassion of God, and I see these stories of Tabitha, and I'm like, man, that's what I want to be. I want to do that. And we start to care for other people. We start to serve people. And pretty soon it all becomes about us. Right? I want to serve people because I want my funeral to be like Tabitha's, where there's so many people telling everybody, like, oh, look what Tabitha did for me. Man, I'm good. Tabitha's amazing. Right? I don't want a boring funeral. I want everybody here. Right? 
because I made such a huge impact. But it's, that's the trap. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about the impact I make. It's not about how great of a, of a neighbor or a coworker or a friend I was. It's about Jesus. And I always, we always need to be pointing people back to Jesus because it's all for the glory of God. When we love others, when we care for others, when we serve others, we demonstrate God's love for us. And so I want you to look at the, the, the outcome of these miracles. Because right? it's, it's easy to fall for the simple outcome, right? Sure, Tabitha is now alive and well. And Aeneas is walking around. Those are some incredible outcomes, but, but those are temporary things. And they weren't the point. We don't see the rest of their story, but, but with 100% confidence, I can tell you that, that Aeneas continued to get older. And as he got older, his body started to give out on him. And if he's anything like every other human, his knees started to get sore and he had trouble walking. And at some point he probably had to use something to help him walk and eventually his body failed him. And we don't know the end of the story about Tabitha, but like every other human in history, she got old and died again. So what's the point of these? What's the real result of these miracles? Look at verse 35, after Aeneas is healed. All those who lived there saw him and turned to the Lord. And verse 42, after Peter presents Tabitha, it says, many people believed in the Lord. Both of these miracles, both of these outpourings of the compassion of God pointed people to Jesus. And that's what it has to be with us. As we live out what it means to be followers of Jesus, as we have compassion on the world around us, as we love people the way that Jesus loved us sacrificially, it should point people to Jesus. It points people not to us and how great people we are. It points people to the God who loves us and has rescued us. So why are these two stories important? Right? Why did these, out of all the miraculous things and all the incredible stories that happened, why did these two get, get brought up and, and recorded for us in Scripture? It's because God is a God of compassion. And His church, is, as His church is growing, as His body, as, as this building, His temple that He is making of all of us is growing, He wanted to make sure that we remember that He's a God of compassion. And it's now us, His people, who are His hands and feet. And through us, through His Spirit working in us, the compassion of God is multiplied throughout all of the world, throughout history as we imitate Jesus, and as we point people to the hope of the gospel. That's what we're called to be as a church. People who understand how God loved us. As we understand that, it causes us to love the world and point people to the hope of the gospel. That's what we need to know. That's what we're called to be. A church of people, broken people who screw up all the time, but who are understanding more and more a God who loves us 
and our hearts are becoming more and more like our Savior's and we want to love people and point them to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that that as we read stories like this, we're reminded that, that you are a God like no other. That you are a God who has compassion on us and you loved us when we were undeserving. You loved us when we were enemies and at odds with you. And you've rescued us. Jesus, may, may you help us to understand that. And as we understand that, God, we pray that you would cause our hearts to reflect your heart. That our hearts would break for the things that cause you sorrow. And that we would respond, that we would be your hands and feet to love people, to care for people, to meet needs. And ultimately, that we would point people to the hope of the gospel. So that more and more people would understand your love for us. That our communities, that that Dubuque and the surrounding areas would be changed because your people are at work loving people and sharing the gospel with them. Jesus, we pray that your church would be obedient to the things that you have called us to and that we would point people to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.